There are people who want the Old Testament taken out of the Bible. I want you to understand the Old Testament is as binding for you today as it ever was. Pastor, how can that be? Because we, we, got, we got Jesus. How can we still be bound by the Old Testament? That's a great question. But we also know that the Word of God will never fade away or come back void, old or new. Dr. Smith continues the Matchless Word of God series and explains. So, so what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the book that stands the test of time. The book that stands the test of time. And I, before, let's get, let, before I do this, I need to show you a Bible that I bought when I, when I started seminary. So this was circa, I'm going to say, 1990. So that would make this about 30 years old. So this Bible is about 30 years old. And it's tattered and torn, but it still reads good. Can I get a witness? Okay, so this is a book I got from my daughter's house. It's not tattered. It's not torn. It's a, it's a, um, um, what is this? It's called the Volume Library. It's actually an encyclopedia. Okay, so any of you who have encyclopedias, they, they stopped uh, printing Britannica in 2012. And so it, do I have any IT people in here? Okay, IT people. And then what I, what, I'm, what I'm telling you that this book covers is it covers floppy disks, okay, and magnetic tape. So that's how current this book is. In other words, worthless. This book did not stand the test of time. If this was what you were depending upon for your homework or this is what you were depending upon to get your assignments done, you are out of luck. So, so you know what was the demise of this book? Wikipedia. <laughs> Google. I, I'm ashamed of myself how many times that I say to my wife when she asks me a question, I, I say, Google it. <laughs> I used to go upstairs to my theological library and pour through for 15 or 20 minutes to answer a question that she asked me, and now I can Google it. Somebody ought to say amen. God chose Israel as his covenant people. That's where we're starting. God chose Israel. Then he allowed them to go into bondage, and then he delivered them from bondage in Egypt. He took them to the foot of Mount Sinai, and he gave them the law. Now, most people think they have an understanding of the law, and when they think of the law, it's the Ten Commandments. That's what God gave, but he was giving so much more. The law identified Israel as a unique people of all the people on the earth. Nobody else had God's law. But more than that, the law revealed the heart and character of God. It showed him as holy, and he wanted his nation to be holy in their conduct. But then God's people rebelled against the law. They embraced the letter instead of the spirit, and they didn't even know why God gave them the law. 
And many of people are there today. We live in a world where some of the laws that govern our cities, our states, and even our nation are being made by immoral people. Now, when you have immoral people making laws, what you get are immoral laws. Now, let me explain. There are two terms that you need to be familiar with. You hear them a lot, but then a lot of people equate them to be exactly the same. Those two terms are ethics and morality. Ethics and morality. And if you're in the habit of writing notes, or um, you, need to, you need to keep this with you. Ethics and morality. Now, what is morality? Morality is our actions. Morality is our conduct. When you speak of morality, you are thinking of right conduct. And then ethics. Ethics deals more with the rules or the principles upon which we base our right conduct. So if you have solid ethics, you have a chance at solid morality. If you have messed up ethics, then you will have messed up conduct. Any of you heard of Jim Crow laws? Messed up ethics lead to messed up conduct. One of the keys to consistent moral conduct is a code of ethics that is solid and unshakable. Did you hear what I said? You can't have solid moral conduct without solid ethical standards. And if your ethics, how many of you heard of the term situational ethics? Okay, so you need to understand for Christians, pay, pay attention to me now, Christians, wake up Christians. Okay, there is no such thing as situational ethics. It is either right or it is wrong. And you don't have to make up your mind about what's wrong. The one thing that you should never hear a Christian say is, it depends. Well, should you be doing that? Well, it depends on where you are and who you're with. Okay, so some of you judge your conduct based on who you're with. There's this crowd... And you got your big book. And then there's this crowd. And you can funky monkey with the best of them. If your ethics waver, your conduct will waver. Did you know that's why people don't like the Bible? Did you know that's why people don't read the Bible? Because the Bible is unwavering in its condemnation of sin. That's all, that's all right. Okay, you don't have to clap. I already ran this through me. You know, I, I, I've been convicted. So when Jesus Christ burst onto the scene, he did not align himself with one of the popular groups, one of the rabbinical schools. But he taught 
as one who had authority. That's the biggest problem they had with Jesus. He teaches as one who has authority. You know what authority is? This is my book. I wrote it. An author can talk most intelligently about his own book. That's why you go to artist signings. That's why you go to book signings, because you want to hear the perspective of the author. Oh, by the way, that's why you come to church, because you need to hear the perspective of the author. But sometimes we up here get in the way. We get to can on. Uh, y'all ever heard that expression? My grand, that was can on. You get too much carrying on in church, and you miss the reason that you are there. Somebody in here ought to say amen. Jesus came and burst on the scene, and he started healing on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? That means I remember when my grandmother wouldn't let me use scissors, and she cooked on Saturday, and we had to warm up on Sunday, because we just, and if it started lightning and thundering, we had to get somewhere and sit down. You, know, you have no business moving around while the Lord is doing his work. Somebody in here knows what I'm talking about. But, but Jesus came and he had the audacity to heal on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees claimed he was breaking the Mosaic law. Jesus said he hung out with tax collectors and sinners because he understood the biblical ethic. He didn't come to change it. He came to clarify it. Jesus knew that first you have to know, then you have to become, and only then can you do. Did you hear what I said? First you have to know what's right, then you have to have some right in you, and then and only then is right conduct coming. Now, see, some of y'all are going to be mad at me today, okay, because I am going to put it right where Jesus put it. So if you are planning on not hearing what I'm saying, this will be a good time to leave. Just put your, put your Baptist finger up and say, go into the bathroom, just go on to your car. Okay, so I'm, I have three or four points, and I want you to hear each of them. The first one is the Bible has endured the test of time because its interpretation is based on an enduring and timeless hermeneutic. Okay, I want you to take that word with you, hermeneutic. All it means is interpretation. Jesus knew how to interpret the Scriptures. Why? Because he was the Word himself. Didn't John say, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? Didn't it say no man has seen God at any time, but Jesus himself explained him? Okay, so listen to Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. You could replace that word fulfill with explain. Jesus came to explain his Father. 
Now, the text that I just quoted to you was from John chapter 1. It says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth was realized through Jesus Christ. No man, verse 18, John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son who is in the arms of the Father, he explained him. Now, what is hermeneutics? Hermeneutics is the science of interpreting Scripture. Jesus declared all that God had said in his written word because he was, got to watch these dots, he was the living word. So the living word explained the written word. Jesus came to affirm the authority of all of Scripture, including the Old Testament. Did you hear what I said? We like to throw away, we, we say, we don't, we don't have to abide by the, who believes that the Old Testament is no longer valid for you? Raise your hands. Okay, y'all scared. Okay. There are people who want the Old Testament taken out of the Bible. I want you to understand the Old Testament is as binding for you today as it ever was. Did you hear what I said? Pastor, how can that be? Because we got grace. We, we, got, we got Jesus. How can we still be bound by the Old Testament? You see, the reason is we have to keep the Old Testament not to be right, but because we are right. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? We, we don't keep Scripture to be right, it's because we are right. In other words, if your mama were to say this, she said, you know better. So you ought to do what? You ought to act better. That's why you get multiple spankings when after you've been told. Now, the law and the prophets refer to the Ten Commandments, but it refers to all of the scriptures. Jesus is not the end of the law. He is in the end of the law for righteousness. That's Romans 10:4. Write it down. Jesus Christ is not the end of the law. He is the end of the law for righteousness. You don't use the law to get better. You don't get points for keeping the law. Why is that? Because when you got saved, you got all the points you're going to get. That, that, that ought to make getting saved worth it right there. Okay, so Jesus was able to keep the law perfectly, and he taught its meaning. He provided a means of salvation that satisfied the requirements of the law. What did, you, what did God say? In the day that you eat of this, you will surely die. Scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ made it possible for us to have life. Now, let, let's get down to brass tacks now. The Bible has endured the test of time because it embodies both the spirit and the letter of the law. See, some people are letter of the law people, and that's you do it because I say so. But there is a spirit of the law that is involved, involves 
Why do you do it in the first place? And so let's talk about where Jesus dealt with this. The first example, Jesus condemned the act of murder, but he also condemned the anger that precipitates it. Murder violates the letter of the law. Anger violates the spirit of the law. So what do you have to deal with if you want to avoid murder? Do something with your temper. You have to understand that most murder, most, most acts of homicide occur because somebody got mad and somebody had the means to do harm. That's why I don't understand why people want to make such free access to guns. Guns make you feel some kind of way. Haven't y'all, haven't y'all seen Wild Bill? You know, Wild Bill have two guns, okay? And, and he walk funny with two guns. You, know, you, you don't walk like that if you, you know, I go into Kroger or one of these grocery stores. Okay, but if I was packing heat, yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. You have to understand that it'll mess up your mind. And once it messes up your mind, then you're capable of anything. And that's what Jesus wanted to say. Stop it at anger. Anger is the root cause of murder. And so, how do you avoid wanting to hurt someone? What you have to do is reconcile the broken relationship. You hear all of this stuff about um, domestic violence? That's anger run amok. And especially when it involves infidelity or other issues, it's anger run amok. If you don't deal with the anger, you're opening the door for something worse. And you need to be careful with people who cannot control their anger, especially if they have access to means to do you harm. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to somebody now. And see, if somebody is mad enough to pick up something and hit you, then they're mad enough to do even worse. So, so anger and hitting don't go together. Okay, I told y'all, you can, you can still leave. I'm not through. Anger is a gift from God to display our displeasure with evil. And it only becomes sin when it is either baseless, you're mad at somebody and they didn't do anything, when it's an excessive, you go overboard, or you won't let it go. Believe me, I have seen protracted anger. Folk won't speak to other people, not just for days, not just for weeks, not just for months, but years, people, Christians, Christians, 
You have, it's amazing how I never see a whole bunch of squabbling among homeless people. They, they just be helping one another and, you know, and, you know, when, and when, when I was in the streets, you know, you had one of those 50-cent bottles of wine. We, we, did, we didn't have hand sanitizers and, you know, we, we, you, you wipe it on your sleeve, okay, and, and t- take a hook. Then you pass it on to the next person. See, somebody in here know what I'm talking about. You, you ain't been saved all your life. But now, you can't be even in the same area. All right now. Anyone can become angry. That's easy. Okay, what's the hard part? To be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose and in the right way. To be angry with the right person, the person who actually has committed some sin that you are outraged by. Oh, wait, wait, oh, oh. let's stop. Wish I, had a, wish I had a chair. I'm going to sit here now. Okay. You can't be mad. Ooh, you can't be mad because somebody hurt your feelings. Okay, that doesn't count. Your feelings don't count. There has to be a real injury. And your feelings are not a real injury. Y'all want to discuss that? (laughs) Angry with the right person, to the right degree, at the right, right time. Don't go home, stew in it, call your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Say, you know what Mary said to me? Girl, I would not take that. And then all of a sudden, you're you're at war, and you were fine on the drive home. And for the right purpose and in the right way. What's the right way? Mary, I'm... I just, I'm, I'm having to, I have to call you because, you know, I'm not feeling that I'm in a place where, you know, I can even worship. You, there's something you and I need to talk about because it's just, I'm just not right right now. And, and I want to make sure that you and I are right because the kingdom, this is, people are looking at us and we can't carry on this way. And so I'm calling. I'm the first calling. I'm, I'm owning my stuff, but I need to talk to you. Don't call Susie. Right. Don't pray about it at prayer meeting. So many prayer requests are just gossip. Lord, please help. Mary, her children are just running all over the place, and they, you know, Second example, Jesus condemned the act of adultery and the lust that precipitates it. Listen to me now. Adultery is a violation of the letter of the law. Lust 
is the violation of the spirit of the law. Kingdom ethics declares that lust is the root cause of adultery. So we must work at removing that which stimulates lust. Now, brothers, let me speak to you for a minute. I, sometimes it's difficult. And the reason is because people don't always present them. I have a recommendation. Don't, don't go to no uh, weddings. Because <laughs> it seems as if people um, use the wedding as bait. Sometimes it's hard to officiate at a wedding because people, these dresses that they wear and, you know, stuff that's supposed to be hidden is all out. And, and so, so what's the remedy? Close your eyes. You can't, you can't always leave. I'm kind of being facetious here, but I'm trying to let you know what the core, what the problem is. And there's not a whole lot you can do. Because this is America. People wear what they, or don't wear what they want. And, my, and the place that I seem to see the most challenge is weddings and funerals. Everybody wants to dress up at the funeral. So, okay. Third point. The Bible has endured the test of time because it is the ethical foundation for Christian conduct. The Bible is your anchor. Matthew 5:19 says, "Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom." Jesus saw God's word as the absolute standard by which all conduct would be judged. Not your feelings, not your experiences, not your opinions. If you're going to take an exception with someone about what is right and wrong, please use Scripture. Please bring to them where in the Bible it says that you should have a problem with that. Now, you say, Pastor, you've been talking about people um, wearing these clothes. Where do you get that? Because modesty in dress is all over Scripture. Right. Nothing could be more biblical than modesty in dress. But, but what happens? Okay. Okay. We move the line. Okay, modesty is not modesty anymore. Did y'all know that? That that that. So so I hear I hear uh, mothers complain. You know why why is your um, ten year old wearing that? Because that's all uh, they selling in the store. Okay. So what's the answer to that? Buy you a sewing machine, get you a pattern, and learn how to sew. Am, am I talking to Christians in here that, that all we use are excuses? You have, you have to put 
pants under the dresses because the dresses are so short. I never saw any of that in, in school. In fact, I never saw anything. You know, between the, between the dresses that were down here, they had can-cans and wheel-wheels and just, you know. <laughs> Modesty, the, the, the standard of conduct is Scripture, not culture. That's why this book has stood the test of time. I don't care how tattered it gets. I don't care how many pages. People say, my Bible is missing pages. Well, read the ones that are left. <laughs> I have to have a new Bible because there are pages missing. Well, do you know which pages? I'm, I'm through. I'm, I'm, you have to understand. Our relationship with the Bible determines everything. My, my wife is, she, she, does, she, she hates for me to, to even mention her, but I, I, she is my hero. Amen. And she's my hero because she wakes up reading Scripture. She goes to bed reading Scripture. Pastor, uh, Sister Martin gave her this 21-day thing. She wouldn't quit till she had done all 21 days. And she, and she was lecturing me about all the stuff she found in the 21 days. And I'm saying, okay, I have my own over here. You know, but she has to share. And then she has this devotional that she has to share. every. Well, we have to do our devotional now. And I said, okay. You need someone to encourage you in God's Word. Because sometimes it gets hard. You're, you're tired in the morning. You, you want to sleep some more. But if you get up and spend a little time in God's Word, it will make your day. That's why this book... Do you, do you, realize, do you realize that they sell about $435 million worth of Bibles every year? Since 1600, they've been printing these things, and they won't stop. Oh, by the way, my encyclopedia is out of print. This is not out of print. And guess what? The old ones work as good as the new ones. King James, New King James, International Version, you name it. I, the reason that we are so anemic is because we're not eating our vegetables and we're not eating our protein. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you grow, grow, grow. Neglect your Bible, forget to pray, and you shrink, shrink, shrink. You want to know how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Scripture says, David said, how shall a man keep his way pure? by keeping it according to God's word. I'm through, I'm through, I'm through, I'm through. I, I, you, you need to, 
Listen to what Jesus says. I got, I got a couple of passages, and I'm, clo- I'm closing with these passages. Hear me now. Matthew 7, 24 and following. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Your life falls apart when it's not founded on the rock. Pain becomes unbearably painful when your life is not founded on the rock. You cannot find solace. You cannot find comfort. You cannot come. You You know, there's a song that I I like it, but I don't like it, okay? Because the song says, you know, sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Sometimes you have to speak um, over yourself, okay? As long as what you're speaking. See, it's a good song. You just got to speak the right thing. You know, if you, if you, if you were going to say, I am saved. I am delivered from sin. I am going to live eternally with God no matter what happens to me. That to me is encouraging. I don't have to worry about all the gerrymandering of the, of the districts. I don't have to worry about all of the people who get elected or who don't get elected. I don't have to worry about some guy who's waiting to run in 2024 because my soul has been anchored in the Lord. Okay, he, see, the second part of this, he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and Sam slammed against that house and it fell and its collapse was great. Are you wise or are you foolish? Only you can answer that question. If you have a question about it, let me make a suggestion. What I want to suggest is you do what you do with your truck or with your SUV or with your cute little sedan. Every now and then, uh, an indicator comes up that says you need to take your truck in for a checkup. It's not telling you that you need maintenance necessarily, just a checkup. And I'm going to suggest that everybody in here, before you spend another night with your head on your pillow, you do a checkup. You ask yourself, if I don't wake up in the morning, am I going to wake up in Jesus' arms? And I don't want you guessing. I don't want you hoping. I want you to say, I know. And this is the reason I know. Because Jesus Christ died for my sins. 
He was buried and God raised him from the dead. And I have turned from trusting myself and turned to trusting Christ. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.